Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our time of prayer and scripture study together. It is a joy to be with you, to pray with you. Let's put ourselves in God's presence. And if you wish, you can leave your prayer intentions in the comments so we can all continue to pray for one another very specifically. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we turn to you and to your word now for the guidance we need in our lives. Bless us, send us your spirit who inspired this word. Send him into our hearts so that we may understand it more deeply, that we may live it more faithfully and that we may proclaim it more effectively. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Our reading is from the first book of Samuel. Saul took 3,000 picked men from all Israel and went in search of David and his men in the direction of the wild goat crags. When he came to the sheepfolds along the way, he found a cave which he entered to relieve himself. David and his men were occupying the inmost recesses of the cave. David's servants said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will deliver your enemy into your grasp. Do with him as you see fit. So David moved up and stealthily cut off an end of Saul's mantle. Afterward, however, David regretted that he had cut off an end of Saul's mantle. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, as to lay a hand on him, for he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David restrained his men and would not permit them to attack Saul. Saul then left the cave and went on his way. David also stepped out of the cave, calling to Saul, My lord the king. When Saul looked back, David bowed to the ground in homage and asked Saul, Why do you listen to those who say David is trying to harm you? You see for yourself today that the Lord just now delivered you into my grasp in the cave. I had some thought of killing you, but I took pity on you instead. I decided I will not raise a hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed and a father to me. Look here at this end of your mantle which I hold. Since I cut off an end of your mantle and did not kill you, see and be convinced that I plan no harm and no rebellion. I have done you no wrong, though you are hunting me down to take my life. The Lord will judge between me and you, and the Lord will exact justice from you in my case. I shall not touch you. The old proverb says, From the wicked comes forth wickedness. So I will take no action against you. Against whom are you on campaign, O king of Israel? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog or a single flea? The Lord will be the judge. He will decide between me and you. May he see this and take my part and grant me justice beyond your reach. When David finished saying these things to Saul, Saul answered, Is that your voice, my son David? And Saul wept aloud. 
Saul then said to David, You are in the right rather than I. You have treated me generously, while I have done you harm. Great is the generosity you showed me today, when the Lord delivered me into your grasp, and you did not kill me. For if a man meets his enemy, does he send him away unharmed? May the Lord reward you generously for what you have done this day. And now I know that you shall surely be king, and that sovereignty over Israel shall come into your possession. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Doesn't David give a stunning example here, a marvelous example, of not only being able to put aside his own selfishness, enmity, feelings of animosity, and respect the position that Saul is in, respect the fact that the Lord has anointed him. It's part of his love of God that he respects the person that God has chosen at that time to exercise the kingship. We saw the other day the meaning of the anointing with oil. When God told Samuel, here is the man that is to be king, and he anointed Saul. This was God's choice. And David had enough respect for God to respect the position of the Lord's anointed and the person of the Lord's anointed. Didn't David do a marvelous job here of something that often we all have to do to prove to someone who thinks that we are their enemy, who thinks that we are doing them harm, who is rash judging us, who is speaking ill against us, ascribing us to us intentions that we never had, he had to prove to him, and he did prove to him, that he was not his enemy, that he was not seeking harm to him. And it's a blessing when we come into those situations where we are able to prove to those who think that we are against them that we aren't. Sometimes circumstances allow us to show that very clearly. When we could have betrayed someone, when we could have harmed someone, when we could have cheated someone, and we deliberately did not, and we're able to show them that we did not, that can change a person's heart. It changed the heart and attitude here of Saul. He wept aloud. He wept aloud and he recognized, if a man meets an enemy, does he send him away unharmed? David met me here and sent me away unharmed, even though he could have harmed or killed me. He demonstrated the point. Now, brothers and sisters, it's a deeper lesson here than we have to learn to put aside grievances, to show people that we do not intend them harm. There's a deeper lesson here and it is that the Lord establishes among weak and sinful human beings divine positions that have to be respected. And even if they're not divine, some human positions that deserve great respect. For example, there are many times, including the present time, when the occupant of the office of President of the United States really shouldn't be there and is doing a terrible job and indeed is doing harm to the nation. And we don't respect that. But we always maintain our respect for the office itself and our, that's part of our love of the country. 
Similarly, in the church, many Catholics today are, and even those beyond the Catholic Church who respect the office of Pope, are having a hard time reconciling that with the words and actions of a Pope who seems to be uh, moving in the opposite direction than he should. But people are able to make that distinction. I don't agree with the things this man is doing and saying, many will say, but I do believe in the church, the way that the Lord Jesus set up the church, and I respect the office that he has established. David is undergoing a similar, a similar thing here, pointing out a similar dynamic. Saul may have many, many flaws. I may have a lot of reason to feel animosity towards him. He may, not, he may, he may have a lot of reason to feel such towards me, but I respect the position. He's the Lord's anointed. If I strike him, I am also striking against the Lord. Now, the Lord himself takes this position. And he has set up the church in such a way that if, and I'm talking here now about the Catholic belief, for example, the sacraments, you know, if a priest says the Mass, if he intends to do what the church does in the Mass, intends to actually do it, and does it according to the proper ritual, Jesus shows up for his people. In other words, they have the sacrifice of the Mass and the sacrament of the Eucharist. And Jesus set it up this way for a very simple reason. You can't have people, every time they go up to receive communion, in a state of doubt, wondering about the worthiness of that particular priest that just said the Mass, wondering if he has been sufficiently successful in resisting temptation that now I can actually come to him to receive Holy Communion, wondering if he's really believing in what he's doing, wondering if he is going to accurately preach the Word of God. He may not fully believe, he may not in, at, be even seeking to overcome temptation, he may be a terrible priest. But just as we see here the distinction between the personal animosity between Saul and David, and yet the utter respect that David had for the Lord's anointed and for the position of king, so we can appreciate the same thing in the church. The Lord Jesus has established the priesthood, and no matter how, and this is not an excuse for sin by any means, but no matter how sinful a particular priest might be, or erroneous in his preaching, when he intends to do what the church does in celebrating the Mass and does it properly, Jesus shows up for his people. It's not about that priest. It's about Jesus' love for his people and his people's desire to be in union with him. Jesus makes sure that that Mass happens, that that sacrament comes about. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the way that it needs to be? And the same can be said about even the teaching, even though we have individuals in every age, in every place, who in one way or another distort the teaching, make mistakes about the teaching, maybe they're afraid to preach the teaching, and they certainly violate the teaching in their own lives. I always think about the image of the golden coin in the dirty hand. 
The church is both human and divine. The body of Christ is divine because it's the body of Christ. It's human because the members are human. The members are sinful. But the church as a body, the church in her entirety, cannot betray Christ. Notice carefully what I'm saying. Any individual member in the church can and does go astray, comes back at various times in various ways. We repent of our sins. But the entire body cannot separate from the head. The faith, although handed on down through the generations by sinners, handed down from sinner to sinner, that's the dirty hand, nevertheless gets handed down. Because the Lord Himself and the Holy Spirit Himself make sure that that fidelity remains. So the golden coin remains golden, maintains its entire value, and is strong, and is handed down from generation to generation. But by dirty hands, the sacraments continue to be administered by unfaithful servants, unfaithful servants, but who nevertheless, because of the position they have, Jesus is guaranteeing that He is showing up for His people. Brothers and sisters, let this make us, first of all, strive for more faithfulness ourselves. Secondly, we ask the Lord deepen our respect for the positions, the authorities that He has established and what they mean. Third, not be afraid to point out infidelity and error where it occurs, because that's part of, actually part of respecting authority. I mean, in a sense, you can say David here is really showing respect for Saul, but he's also rebuking him. He's heaping burning coals on his head, as another passage says. He's rebuking him. He says, what are you doing? You can see I'm not your enemy. What are you doing? And he's calling him to repent, and, 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 and Saul does repent. So we're not to be ashamed or afraid to hold accountable, whether we're talking about the President of the United States or the Pope of the Catholic Church, to hold accountable those who are in these positions because those positions don't just bring them status. It brings them obligations, deep obligations, deep responsibilities, responsibilities to us. We have a right to hear the full and unvarnished teaching of the gospel. So yes, we hold them to account and never ever lose your confidence in the working of the Holy Spirit through His people, in the fidelity of Christ to His spouse, the church. Never lose faith in that golden coin, the deposit of faith, the grace of the sacraments, the gift of the gospel, the truth of Christ handed down from age to age. Let's pray. Lord, we are the people who have received your truth and your grace, and we cling to it faithfully. We uphold it vigorously. We preach it to the world enthusiastically. It is the gospel of life. Lord God, we take a stand for all that is right, and we will continue to take a stand for, for all that is right, knowing from whom we have received it. Thank you, Lord, for all those who serve in positions of responsibility and authority. They know they are sinners. We know they are sinners. 
But let us focus on that coin that is being handed down from generation to generation. The word of the Lord which lives forever. The truth of Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today and forever. The value of life which does not tarnish. May we give the prophetic word even if all around us is darkness or even if all other voices are giving contrary messages. Let us confidently proclaim that truth knowing the great company of witnesses in, on whose side we stand together with Christ Jesus our Lord in whose name we pray, amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, amen. We pray to our heavenly mother, hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Friends, thank you so much. Now today is the day of the great March for Life. We are doing uh, uh, so many things in Washington today. I'm leading the National Prayer Service, giving an award to Bishop Strickland, and Mark Houck and uh, Sister Didi is with us and Mark Lee Dixon and many other leaders. We are marching for life. We are standing in front of the Supreme Court with the Silent No More awareness campaign and brave moms and dads giving their testimony about abortion. We are doing it today. And then tomorrow I'll be on the West Coast for the Walk for Life. Follow all these things on these very same stations that you are watching now, these very same platforms and on all my social media accounts, at FR Frank Pavone. Stay with us. You'll be inspired during these days. Pray with us. And if you're in D.C. or the area, or San Francisco, or the surrounding area, join me in person for these events. Everything in terms of our schedule is at prolifemarch.org. Today is the day, prolifemarch.org. Today and tomorrow, actually. And then on Monday, on Monday the 22nd, we'll be doing an event in front of the Supreme Court as well. Please keep that in mind too. And again, if you're in the area of DC, come and join us for that. January 22nd is the actual anniversary of that destructive Roe v. Wade decision, which though now it has been overturned, its harm does continue. And those children and, mo and moms and families harmed by abortion over the years always have to be remembered. God bless you, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dr. Alveda King, board member of Priest for Life. More money is being spent in America to kill babies in the womb than to save them. Together, we need to change that, and today I want to invite you to support our work at Priest for Life. Why ours rather than other groups? Because we have a unique team that helps lead in every arena of the fight against abortion, and we activate the churches where you find people who are most likely to get involved in that fight. 
To awaken a pastor about abortion is to awaken thousands of people he serves. We do not receive church funding or government grants. We rely on you for individual donations. We have a very high evaluation among charities and top security on our donation site, ProLifeGift.org. You can go there for a one-time gift or to become a monthly donor, or you can call us at 321-500-1000. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.